the attention we give to querying writers, which we should. And then as soon as you get that publishing deal, everybody's quiet about what happens after. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to date of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas, aka literary agent Sarah Fisk. Farah Heron is a critically acclaimed author of romance and rom-coms. Her recent release, Accidentally Engaged, was praised in Entertainment Weekly, USA Today, NPR, Glamour Magazine, and has been named one of the year's best romances by Vulture. Her YA debut, To Hear and Bloom, will be out November 1st, 2021. So please welcome Farah to the show. Hello. Hi, Sarah. Hi, thanks for coming on and sharing your story with everyone. My pleasure. So we're going to start by going kind of all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? I always kind of was interested in writing, but I never actually did it. Um, I was a voracious reader for many years, like so many writers are. And I read all genres. Um, And then in the back of my head, I always thought that one day I'd like to try writing something myself, but I never did it. Maybe I was scared. I had a lot of careers before writing, so I was often very busy and I had kids and um, so I never actually sat down and started writing fiction. When I say writing, I mean writing fiction. I actually wrote a lot of nonfiction. I used to be a blogger and I every job I've had had a ton of writing in it. So I spent a lot and like the blogging was a big one. So I spent a lot of time writing, but not writing fiction. And then in 2016, literally January 2016, I'm like, you know what? It's a new year. Let's try something new. And I started writing my own story. For the year before that, I was reading, I mean, I've always been read a big reader, but the year before that, I read more than I have in my entire life. I read, I don't remember how much I tracked the books, but it was well over 150 books for the year. Um, some days I would start a book in the morning and then I would be done it uh, at the end of the day. And that for me was dealing with some personal stuff. I was going through some medical things and that's how I cope. So I was reading mostly romance. And then so January came, I'm like, I'm spending all this time reading, maybe it's time I actually write something. So I started writing January 2016. And I was really, really lucky, because the first thing I did when I started uh, writing was I joined Toronto Romance Writers, because that's just the kind of person I am. I'm a joiner. When I whenever I start something new, I look for a community. And it was super lucky, because that first uh, meeting I went to was, um, they have it every January, which is Romance 101, where they basically it's very beginner level um, information. So in that very first, I hadn't even been writing a month yet. In that very first meeting I went to, I learned what an agent is. I learned what a publishing contract is. I learned how to get critique partners, like basically everything that most writers don't know when they just decided to start writing a story. I found it all in that one long day. Basically, it was how to be a published romance author. So I had a game plan of what I was supposed to do. I still didn't know if I actually wanted to do that and wanted to seek publication, but I knew how to at this point. And then eventually I just kept writing and I wrote that terrible first book and then put it aside and wrote another terrible first book. And I found that I could draft these books pretty quickly. I love that your career is basically a perfect example of someone sticking to their New Year's resolution goals. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I never thought of it that way. So can you tell me more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author, that you wanted to join the ranks of like all of those romance books that you're reading? I don't know if I necessarily 
had that moment just because of how quickly it all went for me. It wasn't something that I really, I, I was basically going through the motions of this is what you do. You write a book, then you do this and then you do this and then maybe it'll get published. But I, when I was reading a lot of romance authors, the, the feeling that I would get when I would find a, a book, and it was usually romance, it's always been my favorite. But when you find that book that you just can't put down and, and that you just can't get out of your head for the, last, for the next week or so after you read it, I really wanted that. And not so much I wanted to put that into someone else's brain, but I wanted that feeling with my own story. I wanted to have that because that, one thing that I always say is that when you're writing, it's just as engrossing, obviously, than when you're reading. And just sometimes, you, just like when you're reading, you don't know what's going to happen next and you're curious and you're loving the characters. And I wanted to go deeper than just reading. So that was kind of the moment for me that I wanted that feeling mm. when I was reading other romances. But there was no moment that I said, yes, I want to be published author and I want to be on bookshelves and I want to be people talking about me. There was no moment for that. Mm. Cool. So you mentioned the one day conference at the Toronto RWA where you started learning about the publishing industry. Where did you go from there? How did you learn more about it from that point? I was mostly learning stuff from online. I joined Twitter right away. Toronto Romance Writers was probably the biggest because they had weekly, um, sorry, monthly pitch pitches with agents, uh, which they still do. And they had other other ways that I could engage with the Toronto community without necessarily just with, in the workshops. But then also Twitter, I entered contests, I met some writers online, and I just kept working at my craft. And mostly I learned just from really engrossing myself in the information that was out there. So I, I did a couple of, of like query contests. Um, I entered contests at Toronto Romance Writers. I entered the RWA's bigger contests. And through those, you end up finding out a lot about the process, about queries and about how to like write the query letter and where to find agents and things like that. You started it a little bit earlier, but can you break down for us your journey from getting that first spark to signing your first book contract? So like I said, I had entered several contests while I was while I was still writing. I wasn't writing rom-com at the time. I was writing contemporary romance and like paranormal romance, like darker stuff than what I what I ended up publishing in. But then on, again, Toronto Romance Writers, I was at a workshop that they had, and it was on writing rom-coms. And I was so excited about it that I came home and I'm like, I put aside my paranormal that I was working on. And I'm like, I'm going to write a rom-com. So I ended up getting that, that book drafted, the first draft. I ended up drafting it in two weeks, which was ridiculous. I've never been able to write a book that fast in my life. I knew I had found basically my voice. I had found the genre, the subgenre that worked best for me. It was the easiest book to draft. So then, and it wasn't that long after I, I finished it, I, I mean, after I finished it and then gave it a couple of rounds of edits, that DV Pit happened. And DV Pit is a Twitter pitch contest specifically for diverse voices. So I thought that would be a really good fit for this particular book that I had just finished. Like I had just finished the first round of edits. So I hadn't gone through betas or anything yet. On a whim, I kind of tried my hand at DV Pit with this book, and it got a ton of attention, and I ended up signing with my agent from it. But it was kind of a roundabout. So she liked my she liked the the, the pitch. Um, I had several agents like the pitch, and then after I'd sent them the the book, more than one came back to me saying that the genre seemed a little off. Um, I'd pitched it as a contemporary romance, and more than one said it's probably women's fiction. 
I suspect they said that at the time because, I mean, I don't really know why they said that at the time, but I suspect a lot of it was rom-com wasn't really a thing then. And now it's crazy to say that because rom-coms are everywhere, but this was really at the very beginning of the rom-com renaissance, Mm. the contemporary, contemporary romance with that kind of voice wasn't, there wasn't a lot of it on the market. And maybe because I was also writing marginalized characters, I don't know. So I ended up going back and redoing the book, leaning it more towards women's fiction than romance. The agent I ended up signing with, Rachel, Rachel had requested the book. But then I wrote to her and saying, yeah, I can send you the full, but I'm also doing this edit where I'm kind of leaning it more towards women's fiction because of some feedback I had from other agents. And she was very understanding. She's like, if that's the, if that, if you're going to do that other edit, then I'll wait and look at it then instead of looking at it now. And then, so I took another couple months and did another rounds, a couple rounds of edits on it. And then I just like, I'm like, I remembered that, that, that Rachel and a couple agents had been waiting for it. So I sent it out. And when I went to send it to Rachel, she wasn't there anymore. She wasn't at the agency and the, the email got bumped back and I was like, Oh, so then I had to go chasing her down and found out that she'd moved to a new agency. So I emailed her again and asked her if she's still interested. And she said, yes, I'm still interested. She's like, by the way, did you end up changing the genre on it? She wasn't saying one way or another whether she'd prefer it to be romance or women's fiction, but she just wanted to know what I saw the genre as when then and then she would read it and determine where she saw it. And then so I, I said, yeah, I think it's women's fiction now. I'm still not sure, but I sent it to her and then I ended up signing with her. So she made me the offer within a week. And then, of course, then I had to send it within send notice to the other agents that had it. So I ended up getting a couple of offers. But I went with Rachel because I think her vision with the story was most aligned with what I wanted from it. And she's been great. I've been working with her for since then. But then to get the book deal, of course, and I went through a round of edits with Rachel. And then we submitted the book out and it got rejected over and over and over and over again. Because everything else before that point had gone so well that that was kind of crushing to me because I hadn't I hadn't gone through like years of querying that some authors went through and whatnot. So we were on sub for a while and it basically got rejected by every editor that she'd sent, every American editor she'd sent it to. So I'm Canadian. I wrote a story that's with Canadian characters set in Toronto. Rachel's not Canadian, but she didn't see it being a problem that it was uh, set in Canada. And we still don't know exactly why. Actually, one of the editors did say that they rejected it because it was Canadian, which is very strange because the the comment, I'll never forget it, and I don't remember who it was, but the comment was that they don't think that readers would relate to a Canadian heroine, which I thought was hilarious because <laughs> I was like, I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of diversity in the book. The main character is a South Asian Muslim woman and it's interracial romance and the Canadianness was what she had yeah. a problem with. So we kind of had to regroup. And then the question always gets asked whether she wanted to go to smaller publishers or wait for the next book. Um, she's like, you only get one debut. So you have to decide now what you want to do with this book. Are you? Would you be happy with it with a smaller publisher? Or we can, because she knew then I was working on something new. And then we decided to just kind of like put it on pause for, for a bit. And I was still very new and it hadn't occurred to me at that moment to try Canadian publishers because it, like I was, I was so new and I didn't really know that many published, uh, I didn't know that many publishers in Canada and I didn't know how the ecosystem really worked. But then one day she, like maybe a week or so after we decided to put it on hold, she emailed me again saying, what we haven't tried 
is Canadian publishers that are part of American, like the American Big Four, but the Canadian um, offices for them. So like Penguin Canada, HarperCollins Canada, Simon & Schuster Canada. She's like, we haven't tried any of that. Maybe that will hit. So she re-put together the submission package and sent it to Canadian publishers this time, but still Big Four, well, Big Five then, still Big Five, but Canadian um, publishers. And then HarperCollins Canada had an offer in a week. Mm. So after we'd gone through all that with all the American ones, immediately a Canadian publisher came on board. And that's basically how I ended up selling. So the book was published by a Canadian publisher um, with Canadian editors and all that. But it was available to be purchased both in like all over North America. Okay, yeah, that was going to be my question. So you sold North American English rights to a Canadian publisher. I sold world English rights to a Canadian publisher, yeah. And then they were able to use their American side of the business to distribute the book as well. On one hand, that that was great because then I got the book out there. On the other hand, um, the publicity was pretty much, all my publicity was pretty much in Canada. Like the book was available outside of Canada, but it didn't get any attention. It didn't, like it. some people showed me pictures of it in bookstores, but it wasn't in a lot. It was mostly online. You could get it. And I didn't have any American publicity other stuff, other than stuff that I solicited myself. But in Canada, the book had a ton of attention and I went to festivals and I was on the radio and all that. And of course, the market, the Canadian market is, is like Americans is 10 times the population of our little tiny, little tiny massive country. <laughs> so Definitely, I didn't have the reach I could have had if I had uh, sold to an American publisher, but I was just happy to get it out there. And I think it suited that book really well. That's really interesting. What was the title of that book? That was The Chai Factor. So can you read your successful query letter for us? Dear Rachel Brooks, on the April 26th DVP Twit Twitter pitch event, you hearted one of my pitches indicating you would like to see my query. As such, I present to you Chai Beards and Harmony, a 55 thousand word interracial own voices romantic comedy. Amira Khan is too old for her noisy dorm and exhausted from reporters constant calls for her personal hot take on Islamophobia. She needs peace and quiet and intends to get it by leaving grad school early to finish her thesis at her grandmother's house. But it turns out her grandmother rented the basement to a barbershop quartet. What? Amira needs silence They need to rehearse for an upcoming competition, and the overgrown garden gnome of a baritone is making her absolutely crazy. For the sake of his family, Duncan Galahad has to stay in the tiny town he calls home, but he needs big city cred for even small town gigs these days, and winning at this competition might give him top billing, so he can't let an outspoken, overbearing engineer like Amira get in his way. Even if outspoken, overbearing women are his exact catnip, Duncan knows that women like that have no time for small town singers with no steady paycheck. And Amira might be way too much, even for his tastes. Inexplicably, Amira finds harmonious friendship with the misfit singers. And soon enough, she finds that clashes with Duncan outside the bedroom only means hitting all the right notes between the sheets as they both find exactly what they crave. Their differences are only skin deep, but Duncan comes from a world that sees Amira as nothing more than a cautionary tale against multiculturalism. And Amira long ago decided that only someone like her could understand her. To make it work, they both have to not only accept their differences, but fight for them. This novel tackles Islamophobia and homophobia in the diversity of Toronto. As a South Asian Muslim woman, I have drawn on my experiences living and learning in this vibrant city. I'm a member of RWA and Toronto Romance Writers. Thank you for your consideration. Please find 10 pages of the manuscript as requested. Thank you for sharing that with us. No problem.
You talked a little bit about it before, talking about the Canadian marketing and that kind of thing. But how has your experience been since signing your book contract? You know, how has your experience as an author been? Especially, was there anything that particularly surprised you? With the Canadian publisher, I was actually quite surprised at the amount of work the publicist did getting me festivals and press in magazines and newspapers and all that. I don't know if I necessarily knew how much the behind the scenes things happen after publication with the publicist and things like that. When I signed my second book with an American publisher, my second and my third book is also with an American publisher. Um, the experience has been completely different. The kind of publicity that the two publishers do is different. Now, mind you, Accidentally Engaged came out during the pandemic. And then my next release, Tahira in Bloom, is out in a week and a bit, which is crazy. And that is also a pandemic book. So there's there's a big difference in the kind of publicity. There's no, no, no in-person events and such. But I am I am surprised at not only the difference between the two, but just the amount of behind-the-scenes effort that the publicists go through. Um, the publicists, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, those are the like the unsung heroes of publishing because without a publicist behind a book, you would never even hear about it. And it doesn't matter how great the book is, nobody will hear about it. As a former publicist, I love to hear that. <laughs> you know what, it's funny, um, with with all my publishing, like because now I've signed with three different with three different publishers and people often ask me my experiences working with them. Like, oh, you're with so-and-so, how is it? And I, I always say the same thing. I'm like, it doesn't even matter. Like the editor matters. Yeah, the acquiring editor totally yeah, everything. But honestly, the publicist is what makes or breaks for me the, the um, experience with a particular publisher more than anything else. Because if you're not in, in sync with that publicist, that relationship goes on a little bit even longer than that, your relationship with the editor mm-hmm. as you're working on the next book and the next book. So I think it's so important. Awesome. It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. It's just little classifications that we like to put writers in. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I am a pantser who is turned into a plotter, as many authors do once they start having to write books on contract, because we need to know beforehand before we get that contract. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? I tend to be... Actually, some books have been overwritten and some books have been under, so both. Hmm. Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? Definitely at night. Um, I'm a complete night owl and I'm usually writing up until 2, 3 a.m. Hey, me too. (laughs) Whenever you're starting a new story, do you typically come up with a character or plot or concept or something else first? That's been definitely different. Sometimes it's a character, especially if it's something with the character that's in one of my previous books. And then with my like my YA that uh, is coming out soon, that was definitely the concept came to me first. And then I had to flesh out the characters to fit into the concept and the plot that I had. Do you prefer coffee or tea? I love both, but I'm addicted to coffee. Whenever you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? I'm weird in that way because I like both. Sometimes I need it to be perfectly quiet and other times I prefer to have music going. And then even with music, sometimes it has to be completely instrumental depending on what it, what it is I'm writing. And then other times I can listen to anything and it doesn't bother me. Hmm. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? Get it down which sometimes has kind of been come back and bit me in the end because when I'm trying to do the second draft and that first draft was absolutely horrendous because I was just focused on getting it on the page as opposed to making it make sense. But definitely I get through, get through it, get it on the page first. What tools or software do you use to draft? I go back and forth between Scrivener and Word. Usually my first draft is Scrivener. 
then my second draft is Word, and then I put it back onto Scrivener to do another tweaking, and and so it's both. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? I definitely prefer revising. Um, drafting I find very stressful, usually because I've set myself to finish it by a particular time, and if it's not moving smoothly. I see a first draft as like a puzzle to put together and like rearrange and make it work. And I much prefer that than the actual getting the first draft written. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? I always write in sequential order. Final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I'm definitely an introvert, but I know how to be an extrovert when I need to be. The show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You read your query for us. Now we're going to talk about the second cue. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had along your journey and were they realized or did you overcome them or how did they shake out? One of the biggest worries was after I got that book deal and I realized that this idea, like this far-flung idea of becoming an author was actually happening. Of course, every author has this where they're like, now I'm re- now I'm worried that people are actually, actually read my book. Especially that first book, Chai Factor was, was weird. It was about a barbershop quartet and it was about Islamophobia and it was just, it was a very far out there. And a lot of my non-writing friends were warning me about being a public figure and you're going to have to figure out how to do social media. And you've written a book that, that, that's about racism, so you're going to get all this racist hate mail. And I think that was the one thing that I don't know if I would have necessarily worried, worried about it if other people hadn't kind of planted in my head. And then I don't want to say none of that happened, but I was, I was really lucky. I didn't have I, I had very little, very little of that racist hate mail I expected. And the social media thing, I was kind of worried too, because I am an introvert and I don't know, uh, I'm not always very comfortable being public on uh, online. But I also found that was a lot easier than I thought it would be. It's very organic that it just kind of social media just kind of grows as opposed to all of a sudden you have this giant following. And I think that's what made it kind of easier. So those were the those were my biggest worries beforehand. What I should have been worried about is the next book deal and also then time constraints and the stress of sales and all of that. But I didn't I didn't worry about those things as much. And, and then, of course, after the book came out, then those worries came. And that's now that's my focus. I don't care about hate mail or anything like that or negative reviews anymore. Now we're going to talk about the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique? Maybe that the fact that I can that I work late at night, that people find that weird, that I write best when I'm utterly exhausted. I think one of the things that is a a quirk is I don't have a routine. I don't have a a system that works perfectly because my brain just doesn't work that way. It needs to change up over and over again. Yeah, you're definitely the first author who answered the silence or sound question with all of the above. (laughs) All of the above. Yeah. And it's just, just the way my brain works. Like sometimes I need it to be like this and other times not. Like that first draft, I said, I wrote my my debut, The Chai Factor, I wrote the first draft in two weeks. And that was two weeks where I had the flu. And I was on heavy medication, because I wasn't (laughs) feeling well. So I I wasn't feeling well. And I was stuck in bed for and I was just and I just wrote for two weeks nonstop. And then so I got all excited when I actually got sick again. I'm like, yay! I have the flu, I can write again. And that time I couldn't write a thing. I was just like, I feel like crap, I can't get words on the page. So I wish I, I wish I could figure out a routine that worked for me. Like this is the ideal situation for me to write in. But for me, every book has been different. Every first draft has been different. Every editing has been different. I don't know. Maybe I need to find a writing coach too who can tell me which what process actually works for me because I can't figure it out on my own. I can't remember where it was. I was listening to an author interview. I think it might have been the Manuscript Wishlist Academy podcast. But 
uh, that was actually a thing was it's a particular personality trait where they need to do a different thing every time because then they get bored if they try to do it the same way every time. That could very well be it. And I mean, like I said, I've had a lot of careers and I do get bored easily. Like this is my third like full career, but I've had lots of jobs along the way. And I hope that I don't get bored of this one. And I don't think I will because writing is such that I'm engrossed in something new. Every time I start a new book, it's a brand new world. But I can't, I can't, I can't have the same routine. I can't do things the same way over and over again. Did you have a moment at any point in the process where you were kind of feeling really down, like you weren't sure if you were going to continue, anything like that? Oh, absolutely. I have those moments all the time. And how do you get through those? Uh, how do I get through them? So I, I do have those moments, especially when I when I feel like everybody else, like I, I shouldn't, but I feel like everybody else is getting the attention when I'm working my butt off, or I feel like another barrier in front of me as a, as a uh, marginalized writer, another barrier shows up, or I get a negative review. And sometimes that's like, I don't need all this stress. Like I, I can put my heart and soul in my book and really put all my energy into it. And then somebody will push it aside. Oh, this is just, this is just diversity. That's why she got that book deal or things. Those are the things that really make me want to step away the most because there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. There's nothing, everything else I can kind of overcome it, maybe work on my craft, get a little bit better, but people that dismiss me or dismiss my books just because of my identity or because of my social conscience and my social justice that does find its way into my books. That's not something I'm going to ever stop doing and it's not something I can change about myself and I think those are the moments where it's like is this really worth it is this worth all this stress and pressure on me for something that I can't can't control how I overcome it it's this it's the silliest thing and it really does work is to go back and read your good reviews remember that the bad ones are less than the good ones and I I heard a quote from Sonali Dev who's one of my writing heroes And she was talking about branding and she was talking about companies, how a company brands their products. And she said, a bad product never ruins a company. Or I'm paraphrasing, it's something like that. A bad product cannot ruin an entire company. And I keep reminding myself that because as I have, like my third book is coming out soon. And then there's more that are coming. And then I have another one coming out in in, um, next year. I'll also have two books out. uh, So in the spring and in the fall. So as I have more and more books, it doesn't matter so much anymore how that one book did or that one review that called my book that that was obviously racist review that I got for that book. Or it doesn't matter anymore because as long as I keep going, those things aren't going to fell me far ahead in the the author. They're just, it's just small at that point. Mm. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you made along your journey that you would like to tell listeners about so that maybe they can avoid making the same ones? I think my biggest mistake is not trusting myself to start writing earlier. And I don't think I, I don't think I was ready to be a published author before I was, but I think I should have been working on my craft for years before I did. So that's definitely thing. And that self-rejection, I was rejecting myself even before I started writing. And then after, after I did start writing and kind of got into the process, I think the biggest thing is just go easy on myself. I think my, like I I was too ambitious. I said yes to everything. I said yes to volunteering for everything. For example, I said I joined, um, I joined TRW, Toronto Romance Writers in 2016. By 2019, I was the president of Toronto Romance Writers (laughs) because I kept volunteering for things and kept Mm -hmm. um, saying, yes, I'll do this. Yes, yes. Uh, 2019 was also the year that my debut came out. 
And if anyone knows anything about romance history, 2019 is when Toronto is when RWA, like, I don't even want to, I don't know how to explode it. We'll say, we'll say RWA exploded. And I was the president of Toronto Romance. So I was a chapter president at the time and my debut was out. And then, so I had to kind of take a step back from saying yes to everything and deciding, first of all, what's in it for me? Am I volunteering to help other people or is this going to help me? And if it's just to help other people, is that something that I want to be doing? Is that something that I, that I feel that I'm going to get enjoyment out of it at least, that I'm going to get fulfillment out of it? Or is it just to give back to the community? So I think that, that being involved in a community with the writing community, I kind of went too far with it. And being involved meant volunteering too much of myself, not just my time, but too much of myself into it. And that was my big mistake. I can be a member of the writing community and be on the fringes and that's okay. That's not going to affect my career. Were you a Pitch Wars mentor the same year too? I was. You're right. I was. So you're a Pitch Wars mentor, president of Toronto Romance Writers when it imploded, when RWA imploded. And also it was your debut year. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's too much. <laughs> and Toronto Romance Writers, so they, I kind of fell into the presidency there. Mm, yes, that happens. It's a really long story, but I didn't intend to. But I, basically there was not all that different from how RWA exploded. We had an issue in Toronto Romance Writers. And so I ended up having to take on the role and because there was nobody else. When RWA exploded and I had to try and keep Toronto Romance readers, writers together, I ended up resigning from my post because it was too much for me to deal with. And if anyone knows the history, the root cause of the problems at, at uh, RWA was basically racism and white supremacy. And I'm like, this is not my problem. Mm -hmm. I am a person of color and I'm working my butt to clean up the mess that white supremacy cost. I'm like, this is not me. I'm not doing this. So I basically stepped away. Now that the organization moved on, they have another president who's fantastic and I knew it was in good hands. But yeah, it was just, it, I had to kind of learn when to step away from things. That's really good advice. Sometimes you do for your own personal well-being, you need to step away from something that's not feeding you. Yeah. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication? The most important lesson, I think, is uh, nobody's nobody's path looks the same. And that's not just, and that's something you hear a lot when people are querying and people are trying to get that first deal. But that continues on after. The attention we give to querying writers, which we should, and then as soon as you get that publishing deal, everybody's quiet about what happens after. And I think that's the thing that basically you can, even after the point, everybody's path looks different and you have no idea of knowing because people are so quiet after you have no idea of knowing what somebody else has gone through. The industry pits us against each other. Sometimes compares us. I mean, the entire idea of bestseller list is ranking. You're the best. <laughs> you're the second best. You're the third best. And art is subjective. And I think that's the thing that we have to learn. We really, really have to learn how to separate um, the competitiveness of the industry with the art. Basically, I mean, obviously, we, we want to sell books, we want to be able to keep doing this. But beyond that, none of that stuff is as important as the work that you're doing right now. That's great advice. I call this the acknowledgments portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people or organizations who helped you along the way and how? Definitely my agent is number one. Um, my agent is amazing. I'm really, really lucky that that kind of weird way that I ended up signing with her. Well, it wasn't weird. It just wasn't the normal path. I'm glad she's been persistent. We have a very great relationship. She's very, very business minded, which is great because I'm, I always, I always laugh that she's the ambition, ambitious one for me that she's, cause I tend not to be very ambitious, 
but she is very ambitious for me so that we work really well together. So my agent, definitely the entire agency, um, they work together a lot, like bouncing ideas off of each other. So I feel like that, like, I feel like I have my agent, but I also have all of those other agents there to on my side. Mm-hmm. And then I've had great editors along the way. So obviously, I would definitely acknowledge them. I think my family having putting up with me doing this weird new career again. Like I said, this is, has been like my third career and I've worked harder than I have at any other one. And it's definitely been the most emotional uh, emotional ride. So putting up with all that. And then my writing friends, I have my writing friends who I can count on any time that I can just pick up my phone and text them. And and they're always there for me. But I also have another group that is just South Asian romance writers for the most part. Well, pretty much they're all South Asian and most of them are romance writers. Some write in other genres. And I can turn to that group for anything. And we laugh a lot. We talk a lot. We bounce ideas off of each other. We brainstorm together. We got together for a retreat right before the world all closed, which was absolutely amazing. And so I think those small communities, whether it's like my Toronto Romance Writers and then that South Asian group, I think those small communities are the thing that have really gotten me through this. I love the idea because you said that your agent is your ambition for you. Because sometimes we talk about people being like our conscience for us. Yeah. I love that idea of like someone else being a different quality for you. So like someone being your ambition for you. That's yes. I love that picture. Cause I'm not, I'm not, it's not that I'm not ambitious. I mean, I do want to succeed, but I'm, I'm deep down. I'm the least competitive person out there and I, don't, I can't play board games and such. Cause I get bored. Cause I don't care if I win or lose. So having somebody in my corner who is incredibly ambitious for me and reminds me to go after the next thing is, is so helpful. Can you tell us about your latest release that came out this week? Yes. Tahira in Bloom is my YA debut. So it's my first YA book. It's about a teen fashion designer influencer from Toronto. She lives in the city and she's very urban. She's designing streetwear and she has a great fashion internship lined up for the summer, which falls through at the last second. And she has no choice but to move to this tiny little town in Ontario because it's the only fashion industry job she can get to replace it. So she's working in her aunt's boutique in this tiny town. And then she finds out about this floral design competition that has some credibility with the New York fashion scene, because I made that happen. And so her next door neighbor is this really, really hot, really grumpy teenage guy who's obsessed with plants and who's works at a nursery. So she pairs up with the grumpy teenage boy to enter this floral design competition together. So she learns about flowers, and she falls in love and they live happily ever after. Awesome. And the cover is so pretty. But now that I know what the book is about, the cover is even better because it matches that so well. The cover is so pretty. So, so pretty. I was very lucky that we um, we picked that artist specifically because of how she draws flowers. I'm really lucky that we got that cover. All right, Farah, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with my listeners. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Farah's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.